Let me get you to open the Bible, please, to Acts chapter 22. Would you please stand? This is Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 1, on page 931. Paul says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. For from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, Receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, They themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then... They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, 
the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your Holy Spirit powerfully upon us this morning as we open your word. Please give us grace that we might hear your voice, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've got two young clerks getting ready to clerk in uh, federal court. I hope your experience in court is nothing like Paul's experience where flogging was apparently a part of the interrogation process. Don't do that, all right, in the federal courts. Uh, avoid doing that. Um, what an interesting story. We're, we're continuing here in the book of Acts to read about our brother Paul. You know, we've, those of you who are here every Sunday, we took a little break to go and read about an Old Testament antecedent to Paul, the prophet Jonah. And it's striking. We Talked about a little bit of this last week. It's striking how many parallels there are uh, between the life of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet, and um, Paul, Saul, as he's referred to repeatedly in this passage, uh, a New Testament prophet, uh, an apostle. Uh, He called himself the least of the apostles, but he, he had the extraordinary privilege, the unique privilege given to him by the Lord to be a bearer of the gospel, one of the first bearers of the gospel. And, of course, the impact of Paul is enormous. We're grateful for the ministry of this man. Well, I've called this morning's sermon Empowered Witnesses, and I'll explain at the end why it's plural. But I want to begin by looking with you at an empowered witness. Here is an empowered witness, an example, a, a A witness who goes before a court of a kind and actually begins in front of all the people and it moves from there through the judicial process, so to speak. And the last few chapters of the book of Acts sort of recounts Paul's progression through this, quote, court system, close quote. Here he is being a witness, and we will see again and again that Paul is indeed an empowered witness. Um, That word, empowered, and the idea of an empowered witness is actually deeply ingrained in the book of Acts. If you remember last week when we went back to Acts chapter 1 to sort of reorient ourselves when we began again this series on Acts, we talked about a promise that Jesus made to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I'll read it for you. Jesus said to the disciples gathered around him there on Ascension Day, 
He said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It was a a sweeping promise to all these great uh, disciples, the first apostles, the men who uh, would bear witness to the world, taking the gospel to the world. First in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and eventually even to Carrollton, Texas. Uh, We are all the beneficiaries of God's sovereign work, fulfilling the promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the promise of Jesus to his disciples, through them to you and me. And here is a, a witness who's experiencing what Jesus promised the disciples. He's experiencing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's experienced this repeatedly. And here we see a a dramatic manifestation of that empowerment. And we see a man, a very unlikely man, as he himself testifies, an unlikely witness to Jesus Christ. Here, indeed, is an empowered witness. And we actually know that the promise made to the the disciples back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is repeated to uh, Paul, and as Paul recounts it in the words of Ananias in Acts chapter 22, verse 14. Ananias, a devout man living at the same time as Paul, who was there in Damascus, in verse 14, Ananias delivers this personal message to Paul. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. Paul actually had a vision of the resurrected Christ. That was part of his qualification to be an apostle. He had seen the resurrected Christ. And Ananias said, God has appointed it for you to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. And then verse 15 For you, Paul, you, Saul, you unlikely one, will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So Paul is the beneficiary of a promise made to all of the apostles, and here he is the beneficiary of a promise made specifically to him, delivered by the mouth of Ananias, a promise of empowerment. And so here we have an example of, of Paul, the empowered witness. It's interesting, if you look back up at uh, chapter 22, verse 1, notice how Paul begins his witness. This is how he begins what he has to say to this gathering of people. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. That word defense is actually the Greek word apologia. Paul is giving an apologia, the, the the original apologetics. A defense, only recently has apology come to mean sort of saying I'm sorry for something. Apology is actually more than that. It's a defense, something you would deliver in court. It's a, it's a statement of the, the explanation of something. And so Paul is explaining, he's witnessing by explaining the things that he has experienced. And so we have here uh, Paul, the empowered witness, speaking, giving his defense, giving his apology, uh, giving his witness to Christ. I want to give you three points. The first is Paul's story. Uh, The second point is Paul's mission. The third point is Paul's power. And I'll spend a bit of time on the third point, Paul's power. But Paul's story, which actually takes up the bulk of what Paul has to say, 
here in Acts chapter 22. Uh, it goes all the way from the opening uh, down in verse 3 down to near the end in verse 21. Paul describes his story. He describes all the amazing experiences that he has had. Uh, what a powerful story it is. Uh, Paul begins his defense of the gospel by giving his own story. And there's, I think, a lesson in that, isn't there? That the, the gospel finds uh, connection to lives. And by sharing our stories, we're actually part of that gospel work in the world. And Paul sees himself that way. Verse 2, he's speaking to them in Hebrew. Language is very important in the book of Acts. Over and over again, we'll see references to languages. And here Paul is speaking in Hebrew, and that actually makes the crowd quieten down. They're hearing Paul speak to them this defense, this witness in the language that they understood. Their, quote, heart language. They all knew Greek. They knew Aramaic. Aramaic. But here Paul is actually speaking to them in Hebrew, the language of the covenants, the language of God's covenant people. And so he's speaking to them apparently quite impressively in Hebrew. It was a language that they recognized and knew, and it was significant to them that Paul was presenting his witness, his defense in Hebrew. Verse 3 begins very significantly, I am a Jew. Very first thing he says to them after he's, after he's introduced himself, here's the defense that I now make before you. The very next thing he says is, I am a Jew. You know, it always amazes me how Christians of, of any variety can be anti-Semitic. How can you be anti-Semitic when the apostles were Jews? The first converts to Christianity were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles themselves bore witness to him and his Jewishness. The prophets were Jews. They were all heirs of this covenant that had gone all the way back millennia. And so Paul gives witness. I am a Jew. Very important. But he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. That's in Asia, or what we today call Turkey. But he says he was brought up in this city in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. Now that would have brought a hush of reverence. Because Gamaliel was one, one of those great figures that sort of shone in the covenant community. I guess, I guess Gamaliel was maybe a first century Jewish equivalent of, oh, I don't know, uh, John Stott or, uh, or uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, a great, well-known, revered teacher, an explainer of God's word. And so it would have brought a, a hush of reverence. To the crowd. It's interesting, this is not the first time that, that Gamaliel shows up in the book of Acts. If you remember back in Acts chapter 5, at the very beginning, right after Pentecost, uh, the disciples are hauled before another court, a council, and they were also not treated very well. And the, uh, uh, the council was eager to actually kill them. They wanted to kill them right at the beginning. I guess you could say nip it in the bud. They were going to stop this thing that was beginning to happen and the lone voice of reason that's recorded was Gamaliel Paul's old teacher uh, Gamaliel stands and he says no no we, we, we can't do this if it's not of God it will die out don't worry 
And if it is of God, we don't want to be opposing it, do we? He had a, a reasoned voice in the middle of this panic, this, this crazy scene. It was Gamaliel who stood and was the voice of reason calling for uh, tolerance towards Christians. He was the ironic voice there in that crowd. So we've met Gamaliel in the book of Acts already, and the people there in Jerusalem all knew about Gamaliel. They may not have known about that incident, but they certainly knew his reputation as a teacher and a teacher of teachers. He had great respect. And so Paul's saying, I was taught at his feet. I was his disciple. I learned from the greatest about the Old Testament scriptures. I learned from him. And he also says that uh, not only was he educated at the feet of Gamaliel, but it was, he says, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So he really paid attention to what Gamaliel taught him, and he actually sought with all of his heart to, to uh, hear and obey this word that Gamaliel has, had taught him. So Paul's telling his story, and he begins, as we often do, with these points of connection, establishing a level for conversation, and that's where Paul begins. Verse 4, he sort of turns the road a little bit, and he says not only had he learned all this, but he had also significantly been a persecutor of the way. That's an expression used especially early in the book of Acts to describe those who were following Jesus in the way. The disciples were those in the way. And Paul identifies himself as having been a persecutor of those who were in the way. He establishes these credentials, if you will. And he goes on to describe, in in verse 6, for instance, he describes his conversion, this miraculous moment after the martyrdom of, of Stephen, where Paul is making his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And while he's there, he has this amazing experience, a, a blinding light, a voice from heaven, uh, he, he hears this voice saying, why are you persecuting me? That's interesting. Um, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting Stephen? He says, why are you persecuting me? And we'll come back to that in a moment. But you see, this is the story that Paul brings. It's his, it's his experience. Now, it was a unique experience. It was a unique experience. It's so unique that it's written down in the Bible. And 2,000 years later, people gathered in Carrollton, Texas, are reading about it. It's a unique experience. We don't all have that, quote, Damascus Road experience in exactly the same way. We don't necessarily have the drama because we're most likely not called to do anything like what Paul was called to do. The extreme nature of his ministry called for this dramatic experience, and so God gave it to him. But Paul recounts it as he tells his story. It's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. It's a deeply personal story. There are hints of it elsewhere. We've actually seen bits of it already in the book of Acts. So Paul's actually retelling for these hearers the story that we already know from having read about it in the book of Acts. He makes references in some of his letters. So Paul's story... And, uh, you know, I I love when we share our stories here at Metrocrest. It's a wonderful thing to share a story of our experience of God. Ours is not unique like Paul's is, but all of us have a unique story. All of us have a unique story. I loved hearing Paul's story 
uh, when the, in the days when he walked the dusty roads of uh, Palestine with, uh, with the apostles. And I was just behind him. And uh, we all have these stories. We all have stories of how God has been at work in our life and how he has changed us. How he took us from being like this to being a follower of Christ. Taking us from being a hater of the gospel in one way or another to being one who sought to follow the gospel and live in the way of the gospel. It's a great power in stories. So the first point, Paul's story, and he describes it in beautiful detail. It is worth reading again and again and again just to take in the beautiful contours of the unique experience of this extraordinary man. But Paul actually focuses, and this whole story breaks on a detail of his story. And it pops up at the very end of his story in verse 21. Up until this point, apparently everybody had been listening fairly calmly. And the picture is one of them listening. They've quietened down. They've gotten still. They like the references to Jewishness. They like the references to Jerusalem. They like Gamaliel. They like bits and pieces. Maybe they hadn't caught all the details. But in verse 21, Paul says this. This is Paul describing a prayer. And he says... God said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And apparently, according to verse 22, it was this word, (laughs) this word, it says, up to this word, Gentiles, they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now, I guess you could say that is the spirit of the rebellious Jonah gone to seed. I mean, that's what Jonah felt and some of his expressions that he talked to the Lord about. He didn't like that God was so merciful. He didn't like that God seemed to have a place in his heart for the Ninevites. And so Jonah got irritated and didn't say very foolish, silly things. God was merciful to him, as God always is. But here, when the people heard on the lips of Paul that God had a plan for the Gentiles and that he was calling Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles, they got furious. They wanted to, they wanted to kill him, just like back in Acts 5, when they wanted to kill Stephen here in Acts 22, when Paul says something about the Gentiles and that God had a plan for them and he was being sent to them, they once again were stirred up. They wanted to throw him off the planet, not just over the, uh, off the boat like they did Jonah. They wanted to throw him off the planet. He should not be allowed to live. Verse 23, they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. It sounds like my family reunion, all right? They're shouting, they're throwing off their cloaks, they're flinging dust into the air. It's a, it's a picture of a, of, a, of a group stirred up. And it all centers on Paul's mission. He had been given Jonah's same mission, to go. And unlike Jonah, who ran the other direction as hard as he could, Paul, imperfectly, sinfully, with all kinds of mistakes along the way, Paul sought 
to obey, he embraced his mission, the mission that God had entrusted to him. Paul's Jonah moment, go. It's not about geography, is it? It's not about the geography of going somewhere. It's about obedience to the call of the Lord. That's the point. It's doing what God called Paul to do. And by the way, it's us doing what God calls us to do. You see, as it turns out, Paul's mission was Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission is our mission. We're also called to be witnesses. We're also called to go and to, to reach out to, across every line to, to bring others to know the good news of Jesus. Uh, sometimes you have to cross seas. You have to go cross boundaries. You have to go great distances. Sometimes you just look on the other side of the block. Like we're trying to do over here at Pulsar Elementary School. We're having a meeting this week to talk about how we can go to Pulsar Elementary School with the good news of Jesus. Sometimes it means being open to opportunities. I've got to say thank you to ruling elder James Woods who in behalf of the session has been working with a group of Korean Christians here in Carrollton. They're Presbyterians. They're members of the Korean PCA. They're our sister church. Well, they lost their building in downtown Carrollton, we discovered. And through a series of amazing provisions, uh, God put them in front of us. And James, with the blessing of the elders and, and the deacons, have been working with them to create a situation where Metrocrest can host a Korean Presbyterian church reaching out in Jesus' name to our neighborhood, which, according to, I think, Max Kazire told me this, there are a lot of Koreans in our neighborhood. Is that still true, Max? It is still true. Still true. Well, we didn't have to go to Korea. God brought the Koreans to us. And now our little church, we're exploring, just exploring, but I'm very excited we're exploring this, is exploring putting together an agreement where we will work with Korean Christians to reach out to our Korean neighbors. And i got to tell you, that, that's so beautiful to me. It's, it's acts lived out in 21st century Carrollton, Texas. It's us reaching out imperfectly, sinfully, making all kinds of mistakes, I'm sure, in Jesus' name to the world that he has sent us to witness to. And so we have an example of Paul doing that in a very dramatic, unique way, and at a time when we're doing it in our own little way. Let me try to close. We've got a time goal, okay? We're working on our time goal. The third point is Paul's power. Paul has... um, He's told us his story. He's described his mission, a mission we share. And finally, Paul's power. And it's interesting, the word power doesn't show up here. It shows up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But what we see here is not, not the word power, but a manifestation of power. We have Paul, the one-time persecutor of Christians, witnessing to others about the Christian gospel. It's amazing. How did that happen? Where did he find the words to do it? Paul describes himself as inarticulate. He says he's not a very good speaker. Well, he comes across as a really good speaker here. 
a faithful speaker and a bold speaker. Where did he get the power to do that? Well, he gives us some clues. I want to point these out to you. Paul's power comes in three Ps. First of all, prayer. Notice what Paul does in verse 19. This is part of his story. What he's about to describe is part of Paul's story. Paul says in verse 19, I said, Lord, Lord, Paul prays. Just like Jonah prayed. Just like Jonah prayed in um, Jonah chapter 2. So Paul describes himself as praying. Of course, we've seen Paul praying many times in the book of Acts. But here he's praying, describing prayer to others. He's describing the power that comes from prayer. The, the power of calling out to the Lord and speaking to Him. Paul's power came through prayer as he regularly says, and I find that over and over again is true for me. I find it in our church. As we pray, I experience God's power. I experience it in our church. I experience it in my own life. Sometimes He gives me exactly what I ask Him for. Sometimes He is silent. And I learn to wait and to trust Him and His timing. Sometimes he gives me the very thing that I least wanted. When I was talking to him, the thing I least wanted, he sometimes gives me. And that's because I've learned God loves me so much and is so committed to me that he's going to give me what he knows I need, what he knows is for my blessing and his glory, even if that means he's not giving me exactly what I asked for. In other words, he gives me exactly what I would ask for if I knew what he knew. And that's what Paul is describing here. He's describing this relationship of prayer, a relationship of ongoing companionship with the Lord. He had learned to entrust his life and his unique ministry to the Lord. This comes sometime after or alongside what he was learning in Philippians uh, in in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, when he describes his life of prayer. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knew what it was to pray. He knew what it was to know the power of God in prayer. And he shares that in his story. Verse 20, Paul also describes how, in a way, his power comes from God's people. Prayer, second P, people. Uh, in, in verse 20, Paul says, When the blood of Stephen, your witness. It's interesting Paul refers here in this prayer to Stephen. In fact, in his story, Paul has mentioned Stephen a couple of times. And here, as he's praying, he remembers Stephen. You know, there's, there's power in the relationship between God's people. We learn from each other. We support in each other. We encourage each other. We learn from each other. Paul learned from Stephen. In fact, the way Paul begins his talk in Acts chapter 22, verse 1, is a quote from Stephen. It's really the only couple of times this exact way of praying is recorded. Paul begins his speech in Acts 22 exactly the way Stephen began his speech in Acts 6. See, Paul had learned from Stephen. 
He had seen someone who endured hardship and who was faithful and bold and who spoke the truth and was a faithful witness. And that gave Paul courage. That gave him opportunity to speak. And, you know, I I love sharing mission moments. I love hearing from Paul. I love hearing from our elder candidates and deacon candidates a few months ago. I loved hearing from Courtney uh, Barclay, uh, a young woman, uh, very young, doing the work of the Lord. And that gives me courage. That gives me hope. God's people, well, we encourage each other. We build each other up. And through the witness we share, we give one another power to be witnesses to Christ. There's a third source of God's power. There's prayer, there's people. Finally, the third P, promise. Ultimately, Paul found power by trusting God's promise. He spoke God's promise. And everything he said flowed from that promise. He was actually delivering this promise. It was on the basis of the promise that he was delivering the promise to others. And that's what Paul does all the way through his life and ministry. He's delivering a promise on the basis of the promise that he had received. That was the basis for his ministry. Uh, Y'all may have been watching some of the Olympics. Uh, I've been watching the Olympics a little bit. And it's been interesting to hear some of the athletes, a lot of funny stories, a lot of interesting stories, lots of examples of personal triumph and overcoming adversity. One of the standouts for me, and I'm going to mention this in closing, is a young woman named Sydney McLaughlin. Uh, Sydney's 22 years old. She's a student at the University of Kentucky. And uh, her, her bio online says simply this, uh, Jesus saved me. She said, I no longer run. She's a, an Olympic runner, won a gold medal in Tokyo. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. She must be a Presbyterian, right? I mean, what, a, what a doctrine of sovereignty. His perfect will is set in stone, and that is the basis for our boldness. We're not making this up as we go along. It's his perfect will, and it will come to pass, says Sidney McLaughlin. I don't deserve anything, she says. But by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Win the gold medal. Don't win the gold medal. God has given me everything through Jesus. Records come and go, she says. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. And I got to tell you, when I read those words, it just it gave me chills. On a national stage, this young woman, I mean, a lot of people would have a hard time speaking in front of a few hundred. I know I would. I'd get nervous. Here she is speaking in front of a global audience. In her words, she gives witness empowered witness to Jesus. And that's where I want to just close. Um, The witness that we see in Paul, that we see in many others through the millennia, that witnessing power is ours in Christ. And and again, the, the promise is that that's what we will be. I guess the challenge is for us to learn to get out of the way so that he can do what he's going to do. 
And he will use us as his witnesses. He will empower us as his witnesses. We may not win medals at the Olympics, but we can certainly say with Sydney, the glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. Well, that's my, that's, boy, that's my prayer for me and my family. That's my prayer for us. I hope we see glimpses of that this week.